you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. And on this first day of the year, uh, as always, as we're going verse by verse, it never ceases to amaze me uh, how the Lord intertwines what is on our mind with what is in His Word. And today, the, title, the title of this morning's sermon is Moving Forward Doesn't Mean Forgetting. And as we start a new year, um, like most people, you have probably not resolutions, but goals, things that you'd like to see accomplished. As you know, one of the most unused gifts at Christmas time are gym memberships, right? They start out being used, and then, like most of us, we realize that bacon and cake and biscuits are much more important, and none of us want to be unscriptural. Uh, Jesus literally said, give us this day our daily bread. And so uh, not eating it is, you know, I don't want to be a sinner more than I am, so I partake of bread, cake, rolls, all of those things. But when we think about moving forward, uh, today we're talking about one of the most difficult topics in all of the Bible. And you say, Jake, you say that a lot. I can't help it. That just seems to be where God has this. But King David experiences two of the most different reactions and situations that you can. On one standpoint, his enemies have been defeated. His kingdom is secure. He has victory. But on the other side of that, he experienced a loss that is unlike any other loss on the planet. And that is the loss of a child. And this morning as we look at this text and we leave 2022, coming into 2023, some of you today are here thinking 2022 was the worst year. I've lost loved ones. I've battled cancer. I lost a job. My best friend betrayed me. I'm going through difficulties, and I just want a fresh start. Some of you are leaving 2022 going, man, it was the best year I ever had. I made more money. My family's good. We had a grandkid. All I mean, God, life could not be better. And this morning, if you are in the second category, I pray that that is what continues that God blesses you, that you are where God wants you to be. But today you might be saying, what do I need a sermon like this for? One, for the people around you. For two, the future when things do happen. And if you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I just don't know how much longer I can go, I hope this morning that you will hear this. So many times what keeps us from moving forward is this fear that we feel like we're forgetting. Well, I cannot be happy because it means I have forgotten what I've been through. I can never love someone again because that means I will forgot, have forgotten what has happened to me. And so this morning I hope to show you that moving forward doesn't mean forgetting. Just a couple things about grief that I was able to find on secular statistics. Older adults experience grief at a higher rate than younger adults or children. Losing a spouse is common in older adults as well as the death of friends, siblings, and cousins. About 2.5 million people die in the United States every year. And each one of those deaths on average leaves five people struggling with grief. An estimated 1.5 million children, or 5% of all kids in America, will have lost at least one or both parents by the age of 15. The top three issues of grief for adults, the death of a loved one, divorce, and the loss of a job. 
And so this morning, when we think about moving forward, it is impossible for many in this room today to move forward because of the issue, the loss, the struggle that you have been through. And you would say, well, Jake, what does Jesus have to do with my loss and my struggle? Well, if you remember in John chapter 11, verse 35, if you memorized Bible verses as a kid to win prizes, everyone's first verse they memorized was John 11, verse 35. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. And Jesus shows up, Lazarus has died, Uh, his sister has told him, why weren't you here? If you were here, you could have changed this. The Bible says he was grieved in his spirit. And the Bible says two words, Jesus. And so Jesus understands grief. Jesus understands loss. And he understands and cares. And so this morning, if you would, pray with me. We're going to begin and look at what hard times do to us. Father, I come today, Lord, a sinner. Lord, I come today just trusting your word, what it has to say. And Lord, I know there are hurting people in this place. I know there are struggles in these seats. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak this encouraging word to them. Father, for those that are in a season of great blessing, I pray that this would be an opportunity to remind them to have compassion and humility and extend mercy to those that are hurting. And so, Father, ultimately I ask that you would lift up Jesus, glorify Him in all that is said and done, and I ask it in His name. Amen. So taking notes this morning, I want to show you, if you are today, hard times come to us all. Hard times come to us all. And everyone deals with loss differently. I am a bury my head in the sand, don't talk about it. I don't want to talk about loss. I don't want to go to the cemeteries. I don't want to watch old videos. That is how I struggle with it. You say, Jake, that's not healthy. I understand. But that's how I deal with grief. Other people deal with grief where they want to talk about it. They want to go to those places. They want to watch those videos. And today I want to show you that grief affects each of us differently. And how we respond to that, though, is what God is looking for. But hard times come to all of us. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, Absalom, David's son, has just died. And no one knows about it yet. The armies have kind of fled, but King David is waiting. He is watching. He wasn't waiting for CNN or Fox News or, or his phone to go off with a text message. He has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know if his armies have been defeated and they're going to come across the hill and kill him. He doesn't know what is going on. So he is waiting. He is looking. He is expecting. I'm sure he's nervous. And here's where we pick up in chapter 19. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. If you remember, Ahimaaz was one of those who snuck the message to David and hid in the well. If you were here a couple weeks ago. Let me now run and take the news to the king. How the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. I want to stop here and just show you something. Joab knew that this was going to destroy David. David knew, or Joab knew that David might not take this well. And he liked Ahimaaz. 
Ahimaaz was a Jew. He was loyal. He was a friend. He says, I don't want you taking this news to David because I don't want something bad happen to you. But he looks at the foreigner and says, eh, you're dispendable. You take the news to him. But I don't want you to miss this. Joab is the one who orchestrated the death of Absalom. And if he knew what this would do to David, and he had heard David's instructions, don't harm my son. Do we not see the struggle here? Joab is supposed to be one of the people that is closest to David, most loyal to David, looking out for David. He's the one that should be there through the thick and thin, but yet here he is orchestrating all of this. Friends, you need to know that. Grief can be caused by the people you love the most. Whether you lose them in death, whether you lose them in relationships, whether you lose them through betrayal. And so this is the setting. And we go on in chapter 18. Then Joab said to Cushite, Go and tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. So off he goes. And to him as the son of Zadok said again to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, Why will you run? Amen. Right? I read that and think that is definitely my motto for 2023. Why run? My son, since you have no news ready. But whatever happens, he said, let me run. So he said to him, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So Joab says, well, you can't catch him anyway. He's already gone. If you feel like you need to run, go on. Go to King David. You don't have anything to tell him, but you go. Verse 24, now David was sitting between the two gates. He's watching. He's waiting. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted up his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings good news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the king. Stop there with me. You see, Ahimaaz assumed that this would all be good to David. Because David had been betrayed by his son, betrayed by his people. They were defeated. Ahimaaz thought, you know what? This is what David's worried about. I want to be the bearer of good news. I want to be able to bring good news. Maybe I'll get a promotion. Maybe I'll be rewarded. Maybe I'll find favor with King David. But I want you to see something in verse, the very next verse. Verse 29. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? You see, in this moment, we learn something very valuable. All of the crowns, all of the jewelry, All of the fame, 
all of the kingdom, everything that the earth values. In that moment, David says, none of it matters. None of it matters. How is my son? Friends, this is a forward reminder that you can spend your whole life accumulating stuff and titles and recognition, but when you are on your deathbed, your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with the people that God has given you are all that really matters. And how many times have we wasted our life to look back and think, it wasn't even important. It didn't really matter. And so we see here, Ahimaaz answered when Joab sent the king's servant and me, your servant, I saw a great struggle, but I did not know what it was about. He chickens out. He's like, oh no, I'm not telling him. I don't know. But yet he did know. It goes on in verse 30, and the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? Now I want you just to stop here for a second because the Cushite didn't know David's love for his son. He didn't understand how David thought. And listen to what he says. So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. He says he's dead. That young man is dead. And what I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is no matter who you are or your background or where you come from, difficulties come. And this is something I have really thought a lot about and I want to share this with you. It's not new. Some difficulties are in your life because of sin. And God is correcting you. But some difficulties are in your life because God is growing and stretching your faith. In David's case, all of this happened because of David's sin. If you remember David and his sin with Bathsheba, the consequences was that the sword would never depart from his house. But yet there are other times in our life when difficulties come and things happen that God is trying to grow us. He's trying to show us that we need Him and can rely on Him. You say, Jake, which of that is what is going on in my life this morning? I cannot answer for that for you. And neither can any other man. But what you and I must do as we look at our walk with God is get along with Him and say, Lord, if there is anything in my life, Lord, if there is anything that I am struggling with, is there any sin that I have not confessed, Lord, forgive me. I have been studying the book of Revelations a lot because we're getting ready to start on Wednesday nights, the book of Revelation. And if you read about the great white throne judgment of the lost and the fact that they are giving account for all the evil they have done, some people ask, why are they punished then instead of when they die for all of eternity, the second death? And this is a wonderful explanation that I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers say. That when you die, the sins that you have committed are already played out. But what you and I don't realize is the ripple effect that our sin has and that it continues to spread. 
And the example was that of Hugh Hefner who really pushed the pornography issue and, and Playboy and all of those things and how he's devalued women and he's caused lust and all of these things. And on that day, he will have to give an account, not just for his sin, but how what he has done has rippled across the globe and how many people he has led into sin and how many people he has helped destroy, how many marriages he has helped ruin. And on that day, we will be given our judgment for all that we've done and all that we've affected. And parents, today I want to say this with great humility, that your sin today can have generations of effect on your children and on your grandchildren and on your great-grandchildren. As a church, the sins that we commit today don't just affect the people here, but it could affect the people who would have came here, who would like to be here, who were here. And so we must always remember that sin has consequences. But I want you to see that Jesus still gives hope. In John chapter 16, verse 33, the Bible says these words, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In Psalm 112, verses 6 and 7, Surely He will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Even though difficulties are going to come, Loss is going to happen. Betrayals are going to happen. God wants you to know that you are not alone and that Jesus understands your problem. He understands your grief. He understands your hurt. And He cares for you. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that not only do hard times come to us all, hard times will bring us to a place of difficulty and despair. Look in verse 33 of this same chapter with me. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I have died in your place. O Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day that the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole or snuck or came in discouraged back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. The death of a child is a a pain and grief that is unlike any other. As an adult, you expect that you'll probably have to bury your parents. As a spouse, you know there's a 50-50 chance that you will have to bury your spouse. But no one gives birth with the expectation they will have to bury a child. And so what we see in this passage of Scripture is genuine, real grief. The Bible teaches us this. It's raw, it's honest, and it is before us. And David, what we see from this passage of Scripture, just collapses. He is unable to do anything else other than grieve. And in this passage of Scripture, we need to be very careful. Because what we see is two extremes in the world today. That when we go through problems and we go through loss, that we cannot speak truth. 
It's all about comfort. It's all about safe space. It's all about all of these things. On the other extreme, it's, you know what, we all got problems, suck it up and move on. But somewhere in between, there is a healthy understanding that grief is real. And grief affects each and every one of us. But what happens in this passage of Scripture is, not only has David's grief affected him, it has become so severe that the entire nation is not glad that they won, but it has caused them to feel shame and guilt. It has caused them to realize that what we have done has been worse than if we would have lost. I wrote this statement down, and I think it is true, and you can disagree with me if you want. But how do we know when we have grieved enough? How do we know when our grief has become a problem? How do we know if we should grieve longer? This is what I have come in my years of pastoring and studying the Scripture. When does grief and the pain of past become a problem? When it begins to hurt and negatively affect the living loved ones in our life. When I can no longer see the life that I have been given as valuable and that I still have a purpose to fulfill. You see, grief is normal. Grief is healthy. But when grief brings us to a place that God doesn't have a purpose for me, that God doesn't have a plan for me, when God has given me nothing else, when, when there is no hope, friends, we have made our grief an idol. We have made our loss an idol. We have made our betrayal an idol. And so we have to be very careful not to rush the grieving process, not to neglect the grieving process, but to know that God is close to those who grieve. In Psalm 34, verse 18, the Bible says it like this, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as are to have a contrite spirit. And that word for contrite means to be crushed. Friends, when you are struggling with loss or betrayal or death, or all of the things in this world that cause us to be broken, know that you are not alone. That God is near to you. That God cares about you. That Jesus wept. John 14 describes it like this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And where I go to you, know than the way you know. Jesus says the only thing that separates us from lost people in the grieving process is not that we don't grieve, it's not that we don't weep, it's not that we don't hope, it is the fact that we have something they don't. And that is the promise that if I know Jesus and my wife knows Jesus, that while we might be separated for a season, I will see her again. Why my children and I might be separated for a season if I know the Lord and they know the Lord, I will see them again. And friends, the world has no hope. The lost have no hope for that. And so as believers, we do not grieve as others, but yet we still grieve. And Jesus teaches us that. Third and final thing this morning. You say, man, what does this have with the new year? Here we come. 
Hard times cannot destroy us if we realize that we still have a purpose. Hard times cannot destroy us if we realize that we still have a purpose. So David is up in his room, away from everyone. He is not eating. He's not communicating. He's not. He's just weeping. Friends, some of us have been there. What is God's plan for our life? Verse 5. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said... I just want to stop here for a minute. Because if you've been following this story, who does Joab think he is? Joab's the one that murdered. Joab's the one that tried to keep it from him. But I also want you to see something here, though. While Joab did not do what was right, he probably saved the kingdom. Because David probably wouldn't have been able to punish his son. David probably wouldn't have been able to deal with it. We've already seen that he proved that, right? He couldn't deal with Absalom when he murdered his own brother. He couldn't deal with Amnon when he molested his sister. And so while Joab has definitely done wicked things and done things that he shouldn't do, but here he stands now getting ready to give the king some advice. And I want you to hear this this morning. Because even though Joab shouldn't have, even though Joab had done things, God still used him to give some wonderful advice. And friends, you never know where God is going to use to speak to you from. It might be something you never would have listened to. It might be something that you cannot stand. But listen to his words. Today you have disgraced all of your servants who today have saved your life. The lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom have lived and all of us have died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord... Now he's bringing the Lord into it. Sheesh. If you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you and from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate and told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. What Joab said was this, Yes, you have lost someone, but you have so much else to be thankful for. And let's be honest, when we are suffering, when we are grieving, that's not what we want to hear. We do not want someone to walk up and say, hey, I know you've lost this person, but you have these people that still love you. I know you've lost your job, but hey, you were able to save, and you can make it for a while. Hey, I know that friend betrayed you, but you know what? They weren't worth having in your life anyway. And in that moment, if you don't have this feeling you're much more spiritual than me, I just want to shove them down. I'm like, who do, you think, who do you think you are to justify my grief? But Joab starts calling his attention to his blessings. He says, if this didn't happen, all of your sons and daughters would have died. Not only all of your sons and daughters, but all of your wives. All of the people you love would have died today. And are you okay with that? See, it's kind of a gut punch for David. Because David has to say, I, 
I have been given much. And friends, the only way that we will not self-destruct is when grief happens, when loss happens, when betrayal happens, is we will believe the lie that Satan tells us that you have no reason to live. You have nothing worth fighting for. You have no blessings to celebrate. But I want you to see the warning. He says, if something doesn't change, David, it's going to be worse than it was before. And what does that mean? Well, did you read that very last verse? Everybody had left. David's whole army fled. They were victorious and they left. David had no one to defend him. Any army could have marched into where David was and killed him. The Moabites, the Egyptians, any other country, he was defenseless. And what they said was this. Please don't miss this. David, if today you do not understand your grief, it will not only destroy Absalom, but it will destroy every other relationship in your life. And how true is that? I'm dealing with loss, I'm dealing with grief, I'm dealing with betrayal, and I forget the other people around me. And so what happens is not as one relationship gone, but now this relationship's gone. And this relationship's gone. These people are no longer in my life. And what we see is, is some of the most important words in Scripture. That God cares about your grief. That God understands your grief. That God wants you to grieve. But you must never allow grief to destroy everything else in your life. You say, Jake, that's easy for you. You're not the one going through it. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say I even wanted to be the one to share this this morning. But guess what happened? Chapter 18 ended and chapter 19 began. The book of Ecclesiastes says it like this in chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weave, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And so what does this have to do with a fresh start. Because if you and I don't deal with the issues that we're struggling with, we can never move forward. If I don't give God the sin in my life, I cannot move forward in victory. If I don't get alone with God and deal with my unforgiveness toward a person, I can never move forward in my relationship with other people. If I don't get alone with God and say, God, I miss this person. I'm, I'm struggling with grief. You're going to have to help me. God, I'll never be able to move forward. Not move on, not forget, but move forward. I think the most significant thing about this whole chapter is that this isn't the first time David's lost a child. But David's response is totally different. If you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David and Bathsheba, their sin... What had happened, God told David, this child's going to die as a result of your sin. And David began to pray. David began to fast. Why? Because David believed that the prayer of righteous people affects the purpose and plans of God. And so don't you just sit around and think, there's no reason for me to pray about it. There's no reason for me to think about it. God's just going to do what God does. David didn't believe that. David's a man after God's own heart. He gave up everything. He said, I'm going to eat. I'm going to fast. I'm going to beg God that even though he said it, he might relent like he did with Jonah and the city of Nineveh. But the child dies. 
And in verse 19, David says these words. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child had died. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested it, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Here's David in chapter 19. His grief is so overwhelmed that he can't function. But in chapter 12, he says, God is in control. I'm going to trust God. I can't do anything about it. What is the difference? I want to say this. and No matter who tells you different, they're wrong. We do not know. We do not know why David responds this way in chapter 19 and how he responds in chapter 12. Someone after church said a really good point. She said, well, maybe the baby he knew went to heaven, but yet Absalom, he doesn't know if he'll ever see him again. That's a wonderful thought. Maybe it is. Maybe David recognized what happens when you touch the Lord's anointed and Absalom was probably not going to be with him forever. But we don't know. But what I believe is this that none of us know how grief is going to affect us until it happens. And whether you can carry it like David did in chapter 12, or whether you are carrying it like David did in chapter 19, know that you are not alone. That God is with you. Today, whether you're here saying, Jake, I'm not doing well, but I am moving forward. Or whether you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I'm a basket case and I just don't know if I can make it. Know that God loves and cares for you. But this is the word I want to leave you with of encouragement. Whether you are in a time of blessing or you are in a time of loss, as we start this new year and you say, Jake, what does it mean for me? What is God's purpose for me as I'm dealing with this betrayal? If I'm dealing with this job loss? If I'm dealing with this unforgiveness? If I'm dealing with the death of a loved one? Jake, how do I respond if God's been so good to me? I have no reason to want it all. Micah 6 verse 8 has been a, word, a verse that I have begun to pray every day. I believe you ought to put it on your Bible. I believe you ought to write it in the front of your Bible. I believe you ought to, I believe you ought to post it around your house. Because in seasons of uncertainty, seasons of what does God want for me, how can I be faithful? And Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? If you're here today and you're struggling with grief, what does God want for you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're here today and you're saying, Jake, everything's great! Marriage is good! Money's good! Health's good. Everything's great. What does God want of me? To do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Jake, what about our marriage? It's falling apart. 
I don't even think we're going to make it through the weekend to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jake, I've got a lot of things on my plate this year. I don't know how my treatment's going to go. I don't know how my relationship with my grown kids are going to go. What does God want from me? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so this morning, while you find yourself in a season of certainty or uncertainty, hurt or healing, loss or blessing, remember that you are not alone. God has a purpose for you. That first purpose this morning is this. If you are here and you're saying, Jake, I don't understand any of this. You need to know something. Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. He took your sin and your shame and bore it to the cross. He died and took your punishment and mine. He was buried and rose again. And this morning, if you're here and you're lost, you've never truly trusted Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Friends, you are walking through life on your own. But you do not have to. You are carrying the sins and struggles of your life that you are not meant to carry. But there's only one way to know Him. That's to repent of your sins. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If you're here today and you are a believer, you say, Jake, but I'm struggling with grief. I'm struggling with loss. I'm struggling with betrayal. What do I do? He is the only answer. You say, Jake, what am I supposed to do if I'm just blessed? I'm in this church today and I'm thinking, I got everything I need, everything I want. God couldn't be any better to me. Gooder. Gooder's not a word. Better to me. I want you to remember this one thing, that we are made to love one another. We are made to be a church family that walks together, that cries together, that rejoices together. You say, Jake, this church is too big. I can't know everybody. Then get in Sunday school and know a few of them. Walk down the end of that aisle that you're sitting on today and say, hello, my name is whatever your name is. It's nice to see you. You say, not me, Jake. I come and I leave. I come and I leave. I don't want to know anybody. I don't want to get involved with anybody. I'm just here to fill a seat. Look up here. You are not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Because while you might not need anybody today, there will come a day when you're going to need somebody. And friends, Satan will try to convince you that you're alone, that you have no purpose, that you have no value, but God says you do. I died for you. I loved you. I want you to be a part of a group of people who will love you and pray for you and care for you and be there for you when everything falls apart. Friends, that's what a church is supposed to be. And so as we move forward this new year, I pray that you will let God deal with whatever burden it is that you're carrying. But no, never forget that He has a purpose and a plan for you no matter how broken it seems, no matter how hurting it seems, no matter how hopeless it seems, that you are not alone and you are not forgotten. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, while I don't understand why You do what You do, I'm thankful that You do. And so, Lord, You knew that this is where we would be on January 1st of 2023. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be the moment that Your Word and Your Spirit have convicted people, and Lord, You could set them free. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting, those that are struggling, those that, Lord, just 
have limped through the year, that you give them a fresh touch. Father, for those of us that have been blessed, Lord, I pray that you would teach us humility, compassion, mercy. Father, help this church, Lord, to be a church that grieves, that celebrates, that is there for one another, that shows the love that you have for us in practical and genuine ways. And Lord, I just pray especially for those that are here, Lord, that are trying to do it on their own, that don't know you. Lord, convict them, draw them, and show them that you love them and have a purpose and plan for their life. And so, Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.